Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for being here, and, uh, and uh, thank you so much for joining us online as well, being here virtually. Um, it is so good to be together, to sing God's praises, and to open God's word. Um, before we jump into the message today, just want to uh, remind you of something. Next week, um, after this service, after second service, there will be a membership meeting uh, for Ignite. We want to give you an update of where we're at. 2020 has been a, a very interesting year, to say the least. And uh, so we've uh, wanted to make some adjustments and needed to do that. And so we're just going to give an uh, opportunity to give you some updates, um, as well as answer any questions that you may have. And so we are going to be, that's uh, next Sunday uh, after second service. Um, if you're a member, um, you know, want you to be here for that. And if you're not a member and you would like to just know more about what's going on, you're more than welcome to attend as well. So I want to make you aware of that. Um, I am very excited about sharing this with you guys today, the, the God's Word. It is, it is God's Word. It, it transforms lives. God's Word has so shaped and radically formed my life and has for thousands upon millions upon billions of people through the years. And we're going to open God's Word today, and we're going to see some things that are very, very incredible. And I, I pray that you receive that and just let it shape you and mold you and let God um, just open your mind, expand your heart for what He would have for you today. Um, today is our last week in the book of Psalms. It's been our summer teaching series, and we have gone through um, nine of the Psalms. Uh, we, have, we have a tenth one today. There's 150 of them, okay? So just so you know, there's a whole bunch. And if you're like, where is the book of Psalms? If you open your Bible, if you take your Bible and open it about halfway, there's a good chance you're going to end up in Psalms. It's almost in the middle of the Bible, um, depending on how many notes you have in the back. So, um, so you have Psalms. And, and what we've seen is it, it's the prayer book of God's people. It is how we direct, uh, you know, our, it shapes and molds our prayer. Prayers. And if you have a prayer life that you feel like, man, I say the same stuff over and over again, or my prayer life is shallow, or it's dull, or dry, um, I have a hard time concentrating, these kinds of things, um, go to the book of Psalms, pick a psalm, and let it shape your prayers, and just pray it out loud. Read it and make it your, your prayer. Um, that's what people have been doing for thousands of years with it. Um, and, and really, what's amazing about the book of Psalms is that like, there's a psalm for everything, it seems like. There's, it seems like there's a psalm for every emotion or something that we're going through, right? So if we need to give thanksgiving and we, we need to want to say thanks uh, to the Lord, but thanks just seems like not enough, uh, there's, there's psalms for that. If you're at a place where you're in, in deep grieving and mourning and you need to lament, um, there's psalms for that. If, there's, if you look into the world and see the injustices in the world, um, there's psalms for that. If you are, are feeling cold in your, your spiritual walk and you want to ask God to give you a sense of anticipation as you meet with him, there's psalms for that. There are psalms of repentance where we understand that our lives need to radically shift and change and we need to turn to Jesus. There's psalms for that. There's psalms of praise uh, as well. So there's, there's all these different wonderful and beautiful psalms that are out there. And today, we're going to be looking at a, at a, a genre of Psalms, a category of Psalms. It's a, a little bit different um, than the ones we have been looking at, and that is this is, today we're going to be talking about prophetic Psalms, okay? Psalms of prophecy. 
That there are, there are psalms that are prophetic in their nature. They, they, they foretell of something to come. Um, we think of like Psalm 110 is a prophetic psalm. And, and today Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm. This idea of getting a glimpse of what God is up to. And what his plan is moving forward. Um, the Bible can really be broken up into big, four big movements. Um, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so uh, creation, God made the world, he made it good. Uh, fall, mankind rebelled against God, saying we could do it ourselves, and we rebelled against him and broke everything. Um, and then uh, God's plan for redemption, um, how he's going to bring about and make things right. And then finally, restoration, in that you get to see God bring all things back to new, where there's going to be no more sin, no more pain, nothing in the world like that. It's going to be incredible. And so, so what's really interesting is creation and fall is the first three chapters of the Bible. Restoration is the last two chapters of the Bible. So if you look at it, you read five chapters of the Bible, you got three parts of it down. The rest of the Bible is redemption. Okay, it's a long process, what we've seen. And we're gonna see that, again, as God bringing about restorative work. And what we're gonna see in that is really, um, today we're gonna see the prophetic Psalms dealing with God's redemption, how he's going to take care of us, how he's gonna fix the problems of sin in the world. And, and if we think about, if we think about uh, a prophecy, if we think about prophetic, us as, as human beings, we're drawn to prophecy. Okay, some of us will look to the Bible, which is a really good place to look. Okay, pro for it. Others, we're gonna. Other people look to look to different things to try to what is in the future, what what's going on, what's the plan, how can I make sense of all of this? So, like when I was in high school, there was this commercial that was on every station all over the place, and it was constant. It was a one nine hundred number because you had to pay for the service. Um, it was Miss Cleo. You guys remember Miss Cleo? Some of you do, some of you don't. Miss Cleo was a psychic, and she was going to give you uh, words and, and things for the future. There was, a, there was a, a fascination as well in the 90s about a guy named Nostradamus. And Nostradamus was a guy who lived like hundreds of years ago, and he wrote some things down that were fairly cryptic, and people were like, this is prophecy. And you're like, okay, well, how? And you're like, well, look, he says here, something big is going to happen to somebody at some time. You see that predicted, the future, you're like... Okay, <laughs> kind. It's a bit vague. It's a bit vague. Something big's going to happen to somebody somewhere, and there's going to be red. And you know what I mean? Like it's just like it was just like kind of vague things, but people were so clamored onto like trying to get that. It was all over the National Enquirer, but it was all over. Um, Places where, where you could, because we want, we're drawn to this idea of, of wanting to know the future. And, and so often we want to know the future so that we can control it. That's often why we want, that's why our curiosity is like, well, how can I get it so I can prevent this or do this or do that? Or how can I know the future so I can control some things? But what we see in the scriptures is that, yes, there is prophecy, but it isn't so you can control anything. It's so that we can build our trust in the God of the universe. It's about trusting him, even when life doesn't make sense. He's like, listen, I've got things under control. And what we can understand is this, is that nothing can stop the plans of our God. Nothing can stop the plans of our God. And that's what we're going to see today. And so here's how it's going to work we're, today, how we're going to lay it out. We're going to read some scripture out of Psalm 22. 
You're going to see some prophetic uh, scriptures, and then I'm going to show you where they've been fulfilled later in the scriptures, okay? So span, you know, like all these different, there's a huge gap of time between when these things, these prophecies and when they were fulfilled. But we're going to see it. We're going to be in Psalm 22 today. And so we're going to start in verse 1. In verse 1, it says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And in verse 7 and 8, it says, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. That means they're the taunting and, you know, making faces. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And finally, verses 16 through 18. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. This psalm is written by King David. And King David, this is obvious, this psalm clearly communicates someone who is in distress and someone who is waiting for deliverance from something. It is this, it is this cry of someone, but here's the amazing thing about it is, is, is what we see in this is that this person is in a dangerous situation. This person's in a very, very dangerous situation. I mean, if you look at it, like he's crying, he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? And then he says, they torment me, they mock me, they, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads and say, you know what, if God loves you so much, why doesn't he save you? And then, it, and then it goes into this very dangerous situation where it says, for dogs encompass me, a, cir- a company of evildoers encircles me. Can you picture that? Can you, can you picture the, the, in your head of the idea of like people starting to encircle you like a pack of rabid dogs? As they slowly start to make their circle around you, showing their teeth with their beady eyes and their ears back and they're crouched low, ready to attack, and they're just waiting, keeping their eyes on you, and they start to encircle you, waiting for that one moment of weakness before they can jump on you. And they do, and it says, they've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They're all over me. They stare and they gloat over me. It says, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Um, Casting lots, I don't know if you are familiar with this practice, it's not really something we do nowadays, but casting lots is the idea of of throwing things out there and letting kind of, they believe that the Lord would, would direct the lots. These are how decisions were made. They would cast things out there and they would let the Lord decide and they would say he's, he's in these things and, and other people would cast lots. And so what they did is they cast lots for this man's clothing. And maybe you're thinking about prophecies and maybe you're thinking about things and you're like, okay, Steve, isn't, isn't prophecies like supposed to be nice? Like, aren't we supposed to have like happy prophecies? Like you're going to be rich and, you know, and you're going to have all these kinds of things. Or, or maybe there's some prophecies out there, but they're, they're catastrophic things, but they're the prophecies that happened in the past. So like, what, what's the deal with these prophecies? And what we see here is that these prophetic words, while not pleasant, are here for a reason. And they're here for a purpose. 
And we're going to see how God will use this to bring about the greatest possible good. Right? Because nothing could stop the plans of our God. Not even hard things, difficult things, dangerous things. And so I want to show you where, where these have been fulfilled. In Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verse 35, says this, And when they had crucified him, being Jesus, when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. That's how they, that's how they divided up Jesus' clothes. That's how the Roman soldiers divided up Jesus' clothes. Uh, he had a really nice tunic, and they didn't want to tear it apart, and they're like, well, it's just going to go to waste because the dude's going to be dead, so let's take it home to my kids, right? And so they're like, well, who's going to get it? So they cast lots for the guy's clothes. They would often take stuff and possessions from people who were being crucified. Here they're casting lots for Jesus' clothes. How about being mocked? Matthew 27, 43. This is the Pharisees shouting out to Jesus and shouting out to the people around him. It says, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. They were making mouths at him. They were shaking their heads. and like, he trusts in God. Let God save him. In verse 46 of Matthew 27 says this, and about the ninth hour, that's three in the afternoon, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma shebekthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the dogs and evildoers encircling him in Matthew 16, verses 16, Matthew 15, 16 through 20. And the soldiers led him away. These are the Roman soldiers occupying Israel. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. You picture that? Bringing everybody together to encircle Jesus and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and began to salute, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him in mockery. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his purple cloak and put on his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. John 19, verses 16 through 18 says this. So they took Jesus, and he went out, and bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. The Latin word for place of the skull is Calvary. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Now the thing about crucifixion is what it is, is they took a crossbeam of wood and a vertical piece of wood, and they would put them together, and they would literally nail someone to the cross. They would pierce it through their hands, and they'd pierce it through their feet, and then they would prop them up, hanging there on the cross, while everyone else looked on. As a symbol of Rome's power and warning against anybody who would cross them, as well as a place where we could mock and curse people hanging on there on their own cross. And it's an excruciatingly painful process. In fact, the word excruciating means from the cross. 
and they, they would hang there and eventually they would slump down and your lungs would fill up with fluid and all the, over the course of time and, and eventually you would drown in your own lungs. It was a long, painful, awful process. So I want to make some observations about the prophecy of Psalm 22 and its fulfillment in Jesus. Number one, Psalm 22 is unbelievably detailed and accurate in what they were describing. Like if I was going to show you, if I was just going to read Psalm 22 to you without any references and go, what are they talking about? If you grew up in church or maybe you're familiar with you, go, oh, that sounds like the crucifix, that sounds like when Jesus was crucified. It was almost, it was so vivid that it was like David was an eyewitness to what was happening. Like a thousand years before it would happen. David and Jesus, when Jesus was here on earth, they're not contemporaries. Okay, a lot of time passed between when, when David wrote these words down and when Jesus would fulfill them. Here's also something amazing in Psalm 22. The prophecies that we see fulfilled in, 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 on that Good Friday with Jesus, most of the prophecies are being fulfilled by Jesus' enemies. Like the people who were against Jesus ended up serving the purposes of Jesus. Does that make sense? Like the prophecies about Jesus where they were, they were casting lots for his clothing. Jesus couldn't have manipulated that. There's always this, these, these, these people go, oh yeah, but then Jesus and the people, they just kind of, you know, they made it work. It's like, no, Jesus was hanging on the cross when he had no way to stop them, humanly speaking, right, from, from dividing up his clothes by casting lots. And the people that mocked him, the people that mocked him say, well, God loves you. Let him save you. And when the, when the evildoers encircled him and mocked him and beat him and tormented him and tortured him, that was the actions of other people. And when they pierced his hands and his feet, in fact, the only, the only thing that Jesus utters during this time in Psalm 22, his, you know, like, is this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's amazing to me and incredible to me is that the enemies of God were fulfilling the prophecies of God verbatim, like word for word. They were saying these things. That's astounding to me. That's amazing to me. That's incredible when we think about it. That God can even use dark things and, and bad things and evil things. And he can take those awful things and he can make them work for his good. He can turn all things together for the good who love him. Not just find the silver lining. Make it happen. Make it a good. And so as we think about this, as we think about these prophecies, as we think about this... The, Psalm 22 to the crucifixion of Jesus, the, the amount of time that passed that, that, during that time was 28 generations. 28 generations. 
I mean, think about your own family tree. You guys, does anybody here do family history stuff? Like, I do, your family trees go back, you know, 23andMe, Ancestry.com. Okay, cool. Uh, so there's a few nodding of the masks. Um, so if you think about it, you go, you can go, like, you, everybody, well, not everybody, but almost everybody can go back one generation. Pretty, pretty simply, you can go back one gener- two generations, right? That a lot of us were like, three generations, we start to get, a little bit trickier, but not too bad. Four generations, you're doing quite a bit of research, right? You're asking people and you're going through the records. Five generations, you're way out there. Six generations, it's really hard to get out to like six generations back for most people. We think about, I can't, I can't make something happen in any of those. God waited 28 generations. This is something only God can do. This is something only God can do. 28 generations. And this is why this is so encouraging to me. When you can look back over 28 generations ago, God can bring about all of this stuff and over long periods of time and over the darkest days of human's history, all of these things, and we go, you know what? If God can handle that, he can handle whatever you are going through. If God can make this happen... then there's nothing in your life that he can't handle. There's nothing in your life that he can't handle. And Jesus went to the cross. He went to the depths for us. And he took something that was so dark and so gruesome and so awful and he would turn it towards and make it something good. When we think about the Christian faith, when we think about the Christian faith, what is the symbol of the Christian faith? The cross, right? I mean, universally, if you see a cross, you would go Christian, right? Now, Christians could have picked any symbol Right? They could have picked an empty tomb. They could have picked a lamb. They could have picked, you know, there's lots of different ways that we could have, but we, but we were marked by the cross. And we go, okay, that's cool. What? Yeah, like, okay, there's a cross on every building. Yeah, there's a cross on every building. And people wear jewelry of crosses and people get tattoos of crosses, right? We have all these different things. But have we stopped and think for just a moment, the cross is an instrument of torture, Like today, modern day equivalent, if we were going to take our symbol and go, you know what we need to pick? The electric chair. Or a a, a syringe for lethal injection. These, this is, the cross. Something so vile, so evil, so despicable is now the symbol of our faith. Why? Because God took something and made it great. He made it beautiful and good and glorious. Why? Because this is where our sin went to die. And we get to see in Psalm 22 that this was Jesus' plan all along. This was Jesus' plan all along. It didn't catch him by surprise. He didn't have like some epiphany, like, you know what, if I went to the cross, I suppose I could figure it out. Like, it wasn't anything. This was God's plan all along for him to come down to this earth 
and live a life perfectly, the life that you and I should have lived but couldn't. And he went to the cross and he died the death that you and I should have died but won't. And then he rose from the dead to give new life to all who would trust in him. The Pharisees and the Romans who thought that they were going to silence Jesus couldn't do anything to stop it. And what is our response? This isn't just fun facts. I go, oh, that's neat. This transforms our life. How? Why does this matter so much? It's because God did something for us, guys, that He wouldn't have had to do, but motivated by a deep and abiding love for us, went to the cross for us, even though we were the ones who deserved it. And he paid that terrible sin for us, and he knew he was going to do it. Listen, when Jesus entered human history, that's not the moment he was created. Jesus was never created. Jesus is God. Jesus enters human history at a certain point, but has always existed with the Father and the Spirit. So that means at the time of Psalm 22, Jesus was present when it was written. This was this beautiful rescue mission that Jesus came for us. And what I love is how Psalm 22 ends. In verse 31, it says this, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. They will proclaim his righteousness, his beautiful righteousness to a, to a people yet unborn. Show of hands, who was present during the crucifixion of Jesus? Anybody? Any, any takers? Right? None of us. None of us were there. None of us were there, which means the, the people yet unborn is us. We receive the good news of Jesus because of what Jesus has done. He has done it. He has done it. And so we can praise him. We can worship him. We can follow him. We can trust him. The work of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has been proclaimed and received for 2,000 plus years. For 2,000 years, the message of Jesus has been going forth. And all around the globe today, in places where it is freely acceptable to go to church, to places where it is so illegal to go to church, People are gathering and praising the name of Jesus and what he has done for us from every tribe, 
tongue, and nation. And listen, kingdoms have come and gone. Governments have risen and fallen. But the name of Jesus remains. And while we participate in our country's civic duties and privileges, we get to do those things. The reality is it doesn't matter what happens in November. Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. The mission is still the same. God is still on his throne ruling and reigning. And if you're like, man, but it seems like so much chaos, right? 2020 is just a euphemism now for chaos. What else is going to happen, right? I mean, if there's flying monkeys, I'm just living in my basement the rest of the year. I'm just done. I'm just done. I'm going to go look for those ruby slippers and wish my way home. Like, what? Right? And anytime you see something like crazy happening now, I don't know about you, but my response is this, of course. Of course it is. Why not? <laughs> right? You go, yeah, of course. And while there's seen, the, the, you know, we look at the world, we see chaos. We see upheaval. Maybe in your own life, you see chaos. You see upheaval. You see darkness. You see illness. And you're like, when is this going to end? Is this going to end? I can't believe the darkness that I'm seeing right now. Let me tell you this. The followers of Jesus, as they watched him hang on a cross and die, were asking the same questions. And they went and hid. They didn't go into their basement. They went into an upper room. They just locked the door, huddle up. I don't know what's happening. And in the darkest moments of history, we see God through Jesus Christ, do something beautiful, powerful, and forever change the landscape of the world for the better. Whatever it is you're going through, God is not done with you. And God has a plan, and we can trust him. Psalm 22 gives me great confidence and encourages my soul that even though things look dark and bleak, nothing can stop the plans of our God. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this opportunity to be reminded again in the chaos of life when everything seems like hope is all lost. There's hope in Jesus. Yes, life is hard, but there's hope in Jesus. So God, please lead us. For many of us, we feel like we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But as Christians, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. Thank you 
God for being our good shepherd, for leading us. And God, because you know the past, you're with us in the present, and you're also in the future, you've gone ahead of us. We can rest our souls in the here and now in the loving care of our shepherd who will walk with us every step of this way. It seems upside down right now, Lord, but we know that you are working, ruling, and reigning, and you will bring about an amazing good and the redemption of millions upon billions of people. And that when you return, you're gonna make all things right. So in this moment, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we trust in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.